20 after 4 o'clock. Rehima, a very good morning to you and welcome to the show. Morning to you, Kanye, and to your listeners. Uh, always an honor to have you on the show sharing with us some of your knowledge and wisdom. Today, Rehima, we are talking about who are you in this world and how does your narrative serve you. But we're also talking about a story that's quite uh, close to your heart. In fact, it is your own um, current uh, situation that you're faced with right now. And I'm going to just rope it in, in, you know, in, the, in the broader discussion. How important is it, first things first, just by opening up the conversation, how important is it for a person to understand themselves and where they are in the world today? I think it's absolutely essential. I think, um, you know, who you are defines your how you see your, how you see the world, the influences that you have. Understanding where you come from and, and how that roots you allows you to engage the world from a solid base and construct that grounds you and anchors you. I would say who you are is, is essential to um, where you're going. Mm, mm. And in terms of telling your own story right now, Rehima, you are also currently faced with a situation where in the last three weeks your 14-year-old had to come back from school because there was a concern that she was suicidal. And you say that as a family, you had to come to terms very quickly with the various narratives of depression versus uh, social connections versus stigma and the healthcare system and how it works. Just share with us, you know, what it is currently that you're going through. Yes, yeah. Okay, so just imagine, you know, as a parent getting a call from your daughter and she's absolutely um, despondent and crying and this is going on over you know, a period of three weeks and then starting to engage with school psychologists and a narrative is put through of, of suicide and having the child having to come home. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a shocking space to be in and, and, and I think for us it opened up what is the narrative around, you know, teenagers, raising teenagers right now. Um, and for me, it raised the question of how quickly words like depression, suicide um, are coming up. And going back into my context, understanding that, you know, perhaps the narratives that we've grown up with haven't actually equipped us to deal with these. Mm-hmm. And and the narratives that we grew up with are not necessarily the narratives we shared with our children. Um, so then coming into a world where, you know, Insta stories, Insta ready, you know, gives them a sense of this is what the world looks like yeah. and, and, and not feeling that they that they necessarily live up to that. And sitting back as, as a family and saying, Well, what is the construct we've created? Um, or what is the what are the facts that we've shared about who we are as people and where we come from and not just the gloss you see today. Yeah. Um, and I always, you know, it's it made us confront the fact that, look, we're not, we're not sharing our stories, but also it's very easy for the system to then give a story that is quickly consumable that you need to flow with. Um, and it sounds like I'm perhaps speaking it broadly, but I mean, it's very quick for people to put labels like depression and anxiety because labels allow people to box in. Labels allow people not to deal with deeper constructs. I'm at a point where I really believe that in telling our stories, it will help equip our children more with navigating their development, but also in telling our stories, it gives them a firm grounding of identity that they can connect with, that can help anchor them um, mm. and, and locate them as African children in the world today without losing their Africanness, but also embracing their global worthiness. That is so, so true. And do you find that also by, by talking about what's happening, you know, with you currently, that you've also given permission to other families and other individuals to also open up and share their own struggles? 
Sure, I've, you know, you, you couldn't have said it better, Tammy. I mean, really, I like I literally have not gone to work mentally in the last three to four weeks. And when people are like, what's going on? I'm like, hey, I'm navigating this way. You know, my daughter's home and, and, and I have to be there for her. And the number of families that I've come up with, like every single day, out of two people that I speak to, one of them would say to me, do you know what? My child went through this last year. Mm. 13, 14, 15-year-olds. And I sit back and I say, why didn't I know? Yeah. Um, families are navigating this space, and this is a, the thing is about how we tell stories as Africans. Yeah? We've got spaces where we talk about things that are taboo. So you can't bring people into your family life. Things need to be kept a secret. Mm. In keeping these secrets, our children are, are missing out on ways to navigate these things. By opening up, I've had different children coming in and speaking with my daughter and, and you know, spending time. And we're, we're, we're establishing that actually the narrative might not be suicide or depression. It's social, just connecting at social level. Even mm. with a psychiatrist, you come back to the same kind of conclusion. And it just makes me sit back and say, why are we not telling our stories in a way that is authentic, that allows our children to connect to the realities of living? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, Rima, as you're talking right now, I'm reminded of my own story. When I was about 13, I think I was about 13, 14, my mom actually took me to a psychologist, right? Mm. And I think I was quite rebellious as a young teenager, you know, and I was back chatting my mom and I think I was Mm. wearing her out, you know, and Mm. and I remember going to a psychologist and... uh, we had one session with the psychologist and the psychologist, uh, you know, said to my mom, you know, I've assessed her, you know, she's just being a typical teenager, but I'm not really picking up any particular um, thing that needs to be looked at, but it is part and parcel of uh, the growth process of the transitional process, you know, from Mm. being a child into being a teenager, dealing with hormones, dealing with issues of identity, dealing with issues of, you know, understanding this new body that you're living in, you know, there's a lot of changes there's a lot happening around that age you know 12 13 14 you know mm. do, do you find that it has also been your journey to just usher your your daughter along you know this transitional phase of her life yeah I, and when i say that you know it's for me it was the point of standing back is because you do think to a large extent because you're raising somebody you have the answers and i love that you say your mom um took it to a psychologist but i the first time i said psychologist was about 12 13 14 and when I'm saying to my mom, I'm expressing, you know, what's going on, my mother just listens to me. She goes, but do you remember yourself? Mm. <laughs> and that's such <laughs> an important thing. I was like, oh, gosh. And then my daughter said to me something very interesting. She said, but mom, you never told me about this. You never told me that this is what I'd be feeling. You never told me that, um, you know, it's, it's confusing. And I realized that, you know, I can speak a lot of things in the world, but I also need to be conscious of the things that I'm speaking at home. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I need to be conscious of, you know, and, and, and just to give that context, yeah, I, I grew up in a middle-income family, but we, my father was an economic migrant. I'm very clear about this because when people see African families moving around the continent in the 70s and 80s, everybody assumes it is only diplomats. No, it is people who are looking for economic future. Hmm. My, my child's father um, grew up in exile. He grew up in Mkuk. How many today? And you know, in a great house. He comes from Mkuk. He's an engineer in a state-owned enterprise. He travels the world, but his beginnings are not there. Yeah. But these are not the stories that we're telling our children. So we, they see success, and they wonder how they connect to that success, but they don't understand what a rejoicing. 
But even with Wakali, I mean, we always say, let's not just start with our parents, let's go to the grandparents. My father's grandfather has a street named after him in Uganda because he was one of the first surveyors. There's a story of greatness, of African greatness. My great, my grandfather was a, was a, um, what you call a headmaster. There's a story of African greatness that is missing, that almost seems like it's a new phenomenon. It's not. And that's part of the story that we're missing in telling our children and saying that even though you see us here today, yes, we come from a line of greatness, but in that greatness has been struggle, has been strife, has been challenges. And what we need to build in is that resilience, this understanding that that greatness survived and overcame these things. Now, how do we overcome that and create your story? Mm, very, very true. And uh, Ramhima, I also just applaud you for being brave and having the courage to share your story on such a public uh, platform. And I'm definitely sure that this very morning, somebody somewhere is listening to what you've just said, and it has empowered them and it has given them the strength to also seek help for their children and and to also you know deal with it as as a family. And and this is also you know tying in with our conversation this morning, Rahima. Why is important to tell your story as you are currently also doing telling your story of what is happening uh, in your life today because you say that if you were to tell a fake a fact-based story of your life to date what would you have to tell i have to tell people that i'm a storyteller and that i i allow myself to go where my thoughts allow me to go which allows me to see and experience more Openly, mm. I'm a storyteller because stories have the power to inform, transform, ignite, inspire, stimulate action, teach, and preach. We're losing the art and noises of telling good stories through these sound bites. We need to take time, practice key elements of story in our tale, and to forget about that elevator pitch. The elevator pitch is not the heart and essence of who we are. It's just a quick sound bite. Let's tell our stories from the depth of our soul so people can connect with the realities of being alive. Mm, mm. And also one of the things that you, you talk about, you know, you've just mentioned, you know, your, your your child's father, you know, and his story that he was raised, you know, in exile and he lived in Mkuku in Kenya before returning to South Africa. You know, that's mm-hmm. about, you know, being able to be comfortable in your own story. People have many uncomfortable parts of their own stories that they would rather not share. You know, mm-hmm. like there, there may be parts of their stories that they feel are too personal for them to share, you know, do we have to have filters? You know, what are the filters or what are the boundaries? You know, should people feel guilty about setting boundaries and saying, this I don't want to share, this I can share? Yeah, this boundaries thing. It's almost like that filter on Instagram, right? How do you want the picture to look like? Yeah. So that it shows you in the best light. And I think I was reading up recently that, you know, nobody shares bad stories on those filtered places. And this is the challenge that we're creating a world that is myopic, that doesn't take the fact that life is textured. It's not straightforward. So when I sat back and, and I was like crying, a friend came and said to me, share their story. And they said, I'm sharing this story so that you know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much power that gave me? Because I didn't know how to navigate. I, you know, I'm supposed to have the answers. I coached. I'm supposed to have the answers. I'm supposed to know what to respond. I felt bullied by the system. I felt that, you know, I didn't understand. There were some of my narratives that I couldn't figure and locate. But by telling my story, I found people who said to me, here's an alternative way of looking at it. Here's an alternative person to speak to. Here are other resources you can access. I would not have had that if I kept my story to myself. And I would have allowed 
the narrative of stigma to influence not just how I looked at it, how my daughter looked at it. And if I could tell you how powerful she actually has been in this process, has demonstrated to us that even perhaps the kind of words and language you use around some of these things Mm. may be problematic and really not going to the depth of what are these children experiencing and not going to the depth of, wait a minute, how are we as a system responding to this thing because we've boxed it as X instead of looking at the full nuance of what we're dealing with. Mm, very true. And Rahima, for, 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 for parents, you know, currently dealing with the same, um, you know, situation that you might be dealing with or they suspect that, you know, their children may be suicidal and they want to get help. Uh, can you maybe point us to maybe some avenues where, you know, you've been and, and you've been able to get help where you can also point them to? Yeah, so I, I'll be honest. I, you know, I had to call like psychologists and psychiatrists. So you go to your doctor, psychologist in the area, your GP is your first point of call. Um, friends, another point of call. So the psychologists, but I'm also hearing that there's psychologists who are grounded in African context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've got to be conscious of so there's alternative healing, the psychologists, the psychiatrists. I mean, I guess there's a great resource. Um, for people that have researched even before for adults and for kids because they actually do take kids in. I realize that the psychiatrists to only deal with kids, the psychiatrists to deal with kids who are over 15 and those who deal with kids under, so you, it, you, it's, a, it's a world out there. Yeah. But what you've got, you've got to be firm as a parent and say, I'm accepting this or I'm not accepting that. I was, there were some places in the system where I did feel that this is not what I want. So you call some other places and they can't see you immediately um, because there's no, there's, there's no space until October to do evaluations. But they can hospitalize you immediately. So mm-hmm. one of the things I did discover was this notion of a hospitalization of a child, you know, as, as an immediate reference point is, for me is just too quick an answer. So find somebody who's willing to walk the kind of journey that you want to walk, but also make sure that their child's care and health is first. So you really have to drop your ego, by the way. You drop your ego. You sit back and say, it's not about me. It's not about what I think is right. Be prepared for answers that you are not comfortable with. But don't be afraid to sit back and say, I know my child. And because I know my child, I'm willing to, to take this answer or not, and I'm willing to work a different way to get to the right answer. And be confident that you actually do know your child, even though I, I, I'm adamant about this, that you know your child, you know what's going to work, but also work with the system. Don't fight it. Mm, thank you so much, Rahima, for, for sharing your, your story with us. And your Twitter handle is uh, Rahima, R-E-H-E-M-A-Isa, and that's where you can also connect with her. And uh, she is, of course, the CEO and founder of Haditi Media. She's a strategist, an ideas curator, and a curator as well. Thank you so much. As is always the case, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you.